And speaking of changing expectations and what's socially acceptable, this challenge of ghosting is going through the roof. And I've got bad news for you. It's going to get worse. When we look at the data on ghosting, we see that it's actually age correlated. So someone who is 25 is more likely than someone who's 35, who's more likely than someone who's 45, and so on. So the people who are 55 years old and older in the workplace are the least likely to ghost an employer. And guess what? They're going to steadily age out. And the ones who are doing it the most are going to continue aging in to the workforce. Don't conduct your analysis in isolation because data is so incredibly powerful. Not defending just the tribe, but defending the organization. Those creative people that you really want to keep empowered, keep excited, keep motivated, keep thinking. Good experience pays dividends down the line. Stereotypes tend to break down in proximity. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast about human resources, business, technology, and the workplace. My name is Ben Eubanks, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. Hi everyone, it's Ben Eubanks here, host of We're Only Human, and I'm really glad that you're joining me for the session today. Today we're going to have one of those unique sessions we don't have very often. Kind of a solo episode, but not just a solo Ben talking about something episode, but a replay of a keynote that I did, a portion of it at least, a keynote that I did for the RPO Association Conference last fall in Chicago. So the RPO Association is the Recruitment Process Outsourcing Association, and this event was kind of a mixture of talent acquisition leaders, leaders of different RPO firms, really looking at shaping the industry, what's new, what's next, what's trending, all of those kinds of things. It was a really amazing event. And if you want to learn more, I will make sure and get the link into the notes so you can learn more about the event this year that's coming in Chicago in September, but also about what the event's about. If you're an employer that's using an RPO and you want to learn more about what's trending, what's changing there, if you're thinking about that and you want to understand more about it as a talent acquisition leader, if you have enough hiring volume, you might, you might need that. Or if you work in the hiring and RPO space and you want to contribute, you want to learn what else is working, you want to hear from other leaders like yourselves, it's a great sort of event for that purpose. At this event, I had the pleasure, the privilege to keynote. Thank you to Lamise over there, the executive director, for giving me the chance to do that. And in the keynote, I was actually presenting some research that we had conducted at Lighthouse alongside the RPOA about the value of RPO for employers. What sort of value does this bring? Because when someone thinks about partnering with a recruitment process outsourcing firm, like, okay, well, they're gonna help us with hiring. Great, we'll have more people filling jobs, wonderful and absolutely found that in the data. But what was most exciting to me, we found all these other really interesting strategic areas where they were contributing. But what was most exciting to me, we found all these other really interesting areas where they were contributing additional value to the business, like helping them have clarity into what metrics impact the organization from a hiring perspective. That's a bigger picture sort of thing. So you'll get into all those kind of things. I've got a snippet of that session here for you to listen to for a bit. If you're curious, you wanna know more, I'll share some stories, I'll share some data points, all that good stuff. I talk about it in a visual sort of way, so you're not missing anything without the slides. But I hope you enjoy this. And again, we'll be back next time with another episode. As usual, thank you again for listening to the podcast. And now, on with the show. We have all been in the middle of a lot of disruption in the last few years. And one of the stories I love to tell to illustrate this, a couple of years ago, a storm came through our local area and blew off a piece of the roof of a building on my dad's property. Kind of like what you see here, that corrugated stuff. And he said, hey, 
I've got to go fix this thing. I don't want to do it, but I've got to go take care of it. And I said, hey, I'll do it. I'll, t- I'll fix it. I'll admit to you right now, these hands were not made for building or fixing, okay? They're great at typing. They're not so good for repairing things. So I go get the materials, go over there, and I'm, for whatever reason, I'm going to try to prove myself and make this happen. So I go, and the ladder won't even reach the edge of the roof. So I'm failing before I've even started. And I realize if I drive the truck in the building and I put the ladder in the back of the truck, I can get out onto the roof. So I climb out, I pull the materials up, I patch the hole, and it looks darn good. I am so thrilled. I can't wait to get down and tell everybody. And then I realized that I climbed out the hole to get onto the roof. And I just closed the hole in the roof. And so I debate how many bones I'll break jumping off the side and everything else. Finally able to get down, obviously, because I'm here today. But sometimes when we solve one problem, we create another one, right? There's always something else around the corner. And that's one of the things that you've all seen front and center. Suddenly there's this new demand, especially in the last couple of years, where employers said, hey, we can't hire anybody. Who's going to help us? Who's going to help us make this happen? And they turn to you in the room to make that happen. You're like, heck yeah, let's do it. Let's step up. Let's make this happen. And then suddenly, you can't find anybody either. You can't find the candidates that they couldn't find. And it's created all kinds of challenges and disruption and difficulty. And in spite of that, you're going to see some of the data today from this brand new study that shows employers value and appreciate the relationships that they have with their RPO providers. So this study that I'm going to talk through today, here's what it comes from. We, we t- surveyed these town acquisition leaders about what their value is they're getting from the RPO, what sort of things they care about, what their priorities are in that relationship, how they select, if they're thinking about changing, what's, what's in that. So here's all the, the numbers and the data and everything else about that in case you're curious. But the goal of this, the, the hope of this, you never know when you're starting a research study what's going to come out of it, but the hope of this was to really spotlight the value that RPO brings to the employer community. We want to understand what they're getting, what they're expecting, and how those things match up or not. And if they don't match up, how you can align with those things you're looking for. And if it does, let's celebrate the heck out of that. It's a fun place to be. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a quick snippet on some of the things I'm seeing in the space, a little bit of the current environment. You're living it, so I'm going to keep that really brief. I'm going to talk about how employers value those relationships. What sort of things, if you were paying attention to the slides earlier, you saw a little preview of that. Some of those things they're looking for, some of those things they expect. And then we're going to look at some of those things that employers are expecting from those relationships. Some things they're getting, some things they're not. Some of the stats may actually surprise you. So all of you, again, are living this every day. So we're seeing, we're talking about this at breakfast this morning, about these different companies are laying people off. It's, it's a, a weird time because at the same time some companies are laying people off, the same day I pulled these headlines, I also pulled these headlines. Employers need people, they're trying to recruit, they can't find enough talent. Where in the world are all the people? My, the book is called Talent Scarcity, and it's to answer that question. I've got more from employers in the last two years than probably you have as well, which is where are all the people? Where'd they go? Can we bring them back? So we're digging at a lot of those things. But I pulled these two sets of headlines the very same day. And I don't know that that's ever been the case, and definitely not in my working lifetime when I was recruiting day to day, or any of my times as a researcher where we had these two different dynamics happening at the very same time. Here's a couple of things we're seeing. Let's take it down a level to the candidate level. So in our study this year on talent acquisition, we did earlier this summer, we found that one out of three candidates told us when they accept an offer that they are committed to that company. The other two out of three said, I'm going to keep my options open anywhere from a few weeks until 
whenever I feel like it. I'm always going to be open to another offer. I feel very old-fashioned when I say I accept an offer, I'm committing to that company, but that's apparently a changing social expectation. And speaking of changing expectations and what's socially acceptable, this challenge of ghosting is going through the roof, and I've got bad news for you. It's going to get worse. When we look at the data on ghosting, we see that it's actually age-correlated. So someone who is 25 is more likely than someone who's 35, who's more likely than someone who's 45, and so on. So the people who are 55 years old and older in the workplace are the least likely to ghost an employer. And guess what? They're going to steadily age out. And the ones who are doing it the most are going to continue aging in to the workforce. They're going to take a bigger portion. So this challenge of ghosting and this hope that maybe this is a weird fad that's going to go away, none of the data tell us right now that that's going to happen. What we're seeing is going to continue and it's going to get worse, unfortunately, which had a a little bit more positive spin to put on that, but I have none, sorry. And then last but not least, we've been doing a regular pulse on the workforce for the last year on how many of you are planning on quitting your jobs? How many of you are planning on leaving? And we see in our most recent data set that still one in four people are planning on quitting their jobs in the coming six months. So there's still gonna be this turnover, there's still gonna be this opportunity, if you wanna look at it that way, there's still gonna be this turnover, this shift, this disruption that we've all been seeing firsthand for the last couple of years. It's going to continue on, at least for the civil future. All right. Told you I'd keep that very brief. This is what you're living. I wanted to give you a couple stats to so think about that, though. Let's transition over and talk about this, this value of an RPO relationship. There's a couple of quick headline stats I'll give you. If you want to take a picture, great. Lamise has a copy of this. We'll make sure and share that with you so that you can, if you want that. But I always love it when you take pictures so I can be like, just let me know and I'll post. I'll do my best Vanna White impression for that. So a couple of things we're seeing in the data. Number one, when we ask employers, does having an RPO actually influence and change the hiring metrics you're actually able to achieve? 97% of them said that it helps to improve those metrics. And we could spend a lot longer than the 30 minutes that I've got going deeper into this because that number is not static. Depending on how we cut the data, depending on the kind of um, relationship that company says they have, depending on how long of a tenure they have with RPO, that number starts to shift and ebb and flow and change. Every time I cut the data and look at it, there's, there's a gap there. And there's some really interesting insights that I'm continuing to pull out of this. I have a report coming up soon that'll be shared with you. But we also have some incredible handouts of some of these stats that we're going to give you after the session's over so you can have a little takeaway to take back home with you. In addition to that, we see that about nine out of 10 companies say that having this relationship with the right RPO allows them to focus on other things that matter. And I see this in all the areas of the research we do across HRO and BPO and everything else. That's, all, that's consistent. We expect that. But to see nine out of 10 companies essentially agree with that blows me away. If we were going to get together as a group here, here's how statistics are hard. Right? If we're going to get together, nine out of 10 of us probably couldn't agree on where we wanted to eat for lunch. Okay. So to have nine out of 10 employers in the open market say that they believe this, it's a really powerful statement. It's a testament to the value you're bringing to them. Just a couple rapid fire ones for you. I keep hearing from my friends in the RPO space that scaling up and down, right? Right now, it may be the scaling down piece of that for some, some types of hiring, but being able to scale up and down easily is a big deal. Employers say that, that yes, check that box their clarity on how hiring affects the business. I've talked to more leaders in the last two years on the, on the 
talent acquisition and the HR side who are saying, you know what? Suddenly my boss is asking me what it costs us to not have a person ready to take this job. And we've never had to look at that before. We've always assumed that the people are going to be there. They're going to be readily available. I was writing a piece recently and I used the analogy of years ago, many, many years ago in the manufacturing space, it was very common to have big stockpiles of inventory just laying around everywhere and we're ready to build something. We just go grab it off the shelf and we build it. And then someone said, hey, wait a minute, there's this thing called just in time where you can just get it when you need it and you can build it then. And so employers started stopped stockpiling stuff and started using just in time to manufacture things. And the same way we've started, that's the way we approach hiring because we always assume that there's gonna be someone else to go and grab and suddenly when there's not, that creates all this disruption, all this challenge and employers and leaders outside of the talent function say, wait a minute, we, we thought this is always gonna be a constant. Suddenly we have to change how we're thinking about this. We have to understand where is the priority. If we can only get one person, where's the best place to put that one person to create the most value for us as a company? And having an RPO in place, employers are telling us, helps them see that line of sight more clearly. And last but not least, ROI has been positive for more than half of them. That is affected by a lot of things, including the length of that relationship. The longer someone has that relationship in place, the more likely they are to say that the ROI has been a positive one. You probably know that. It's hard to get a full understanding of everything that company is about and how they work and what their values are and the kind of things they, they really care about when they're selecting candidates. It's hard to get all those things in the first month when you start a new engagement with them. You need to take some time to build up that relationship and understand those things and really get what they're about to be able to align with that. I've had some fun conversations with, with Pam and some of the others on the RPOA board about cost as a factor in this and the decision for employers to select an RPO. And those conversations in general, if I'm gonna broadly, broad brush paint with this, is if they are care only about price, they're not for us. They need to go somewhere else because we are here to deliver a premium service. We're gonna deliver it really well, but we're not gonna get, we're not gonna be, be haggling and fighting over what this, you know, down to the penny, it's not worth that for us. Someone else wants this, we'll deliver it to them. So we see in the data, I was very curious to see how employers responded to that. So for those that are not using one yet, the number one reason they say they're not using it, they're not using an RPO, they're not partnering yet, is because of cost. They say that's the biggest barrier, the biggest holdback for them. But for those who are currently using an RPO, when it comes to selection factors, the things they said are very important for picking their partner, cost was way down the list, next to the bottom. So not nearly as big a priority for those that are currently using. And not only that, when we look at those who are changing, the people who are companies who said, yes, we're using one, we're thinking about changing either in the next year or the next two years, those companies, only a small fraction of them say cost is the reason they're looking to change. So the cost is not as big of a deal as we think it might be. It only is for those who aren't using it yet. The ones that are, they start to get into the ROI piece of that, they start to see the value of that, and it changes how they think about the price component. Okay, so let's take a look at what employers are wanting from RPO relationships. What are they seeking? What are they hoping for when they come to, to the table and they're looking for a partner? I wanna tell you what they're looking for. There's this incredible book called Upstream. If you've never read it, one of the analogies they use in the book, you and a friend are gonna go and sit down and have a picnic on the, down here on the river walk. It's beautiful when the sun's actually out. Whew, goodness, the shade yesterday was freezing on that, that tour. I'm from Alabama, we don't do the cold very well, okay? We can't handle that. 
So you're gonna sit down with a friend here on the Riverwalk and have a picnic and you're getting settled and suddenly you hear a child screaming. They're in the river, floating down the river. So you jump in, you rescue that child, you pull them out. Whew, goodness, okay, everything's safe, we're good. Okay, let's sit down, let's have our picnic. Hear another child screaming, floating down the river. Can't swim, you jump in, you rescue that child. And you keep doing this and you keep doing this. And finally, your friend turns around and walks off and says, hey, where are you going? We gotta save these kids. He said, I'm gonna go upstream and find the jerk who's throwing them in, okay? Employers are looking for someone that helps them think upstream. Helps them think not just about the problem. They know the problem. They can't find people. They know the problem already. But they want someone that helps them think farther upstream about how can we solve this in a more business-aligned way? How can we solve this in a more innovative way? How can we tackle this problem that we're facing in a way we haven't already thought of? That's why they've arrived at the table to have a conversation with you. If they could think of it, if they could, if they could do it themselves, they wouldn't need any of the support that you provide. So looking for that upstream thinking. When we look at the reasons, the, the factors that are most important, right from top to bottom here for employers, when it comes to selecting their provider, we had a good discussion this morning with some of the, some of the crew there at the table about the importance of technology and automation in this, but they're looking for a couple of different things. Employers, some of them have a really good understanding of the tools, the technologies, the ATSs, the CRMs, all the different categories of recruiting technology. They have a good understanding of those. Many of them don't. Many of them don't have the time, they don't have the insight, they don't have the subject matter expertise to be able to understand all those pieces of it. So they come to an RPO looking for not just service, but also a technology-enabled service to help them do that. And not only that, but number two there is the analytics, the strategic insights. Help me figure out what's going on. Help me figure out what's the best step. What's the next best step to take? It's not always clear until you can look at the data. Then, as I told you earlier, costs way down the list in terms of their priorities for selecting their provider. Okay. I found this last night. I'm a last minute slide kind of guy. I don't know about you. But I told Lamitas that I've got to get this in there because this was so powerful to me. So we look at those companies. I broke them out for those that said we have a positive ROI. Or we don't. Those companies that say they have a positive ROI from their RPO relationship are tremendously more likely, 725% more likely to be getting support from that RPO along hiring strategy and business alignment. If you want to the inverse of that, it's virtually impossible to get a positive ROI from an RPO relationship if you're not having that as part of that. If you're just asking for bodies, if you're just trying to fill roles, if you're just trying to put people in seats, you're going to miss out on the value, the full value that an RPO can, pro can provide, all right? We come now to the interaction portion of our, of our session. Guess what hiring metric companies prioritize if they do not have an ROI from that relationship? If they have no ROI, what metric do they prioritize? Time to fill. How quickly can you put that rear end in that seat? If they have no ROI, that is the number one thing that they prioritize from their RPO. Does that surprise you? Not really. And yet to have that stat is so, so powerful to me. It's one of those things you probably knew kind of in the back of your mind. You're like, yeah, okay. But to actually know that now with the data is so, so powerful. 
the maturity of that relationship and how long they've been working with an RPO also affects the kind of things they're looking for. Someone who is just starting out, less than two years is actually the break point we looked at, they look at very tactical things. Help me with internal hiring. Help me with diversity recruiting. Help me with employer branding. Help me with those, some of those things that are a little more specific and tactical. For those who have had an RPO relationship for more than four years, they're twice as likely to be focused on that business alignment piece, which we talked about just a minute ago. Really helping them understand how this, all these things we're doing over here from a hiring activity standpoint align with the things the business needs from us. Are we solving the problems the business has? I hope you enjoyed this episode today, really diving into the recruitment process, outsourcing space, the industry, the trends, what's changing there. Really a fun dive for me to, to get into that and explore more. And I can't wait to do more of that this year with our partnership with the RPOA and the team over there. They're doing great work. If you want to see the report, if you want to understand more about that, you want to see the, the link to the conference, all those things will be in the show notes for this episode. Thank you again. We'll catch you next time on We Are Only Human. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm honored to have you as a listener. If you enjoyed this episode, please take 10 seconds to rate it at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you know a friend that could benefit from today's conversation, please pass it their way. After all, a rising tide lifts all ships. To see show notes, sponsor information, and our full show archives, visit onlyhumanshow.com.